everyone, Alex here. Today I am joined by Cyan Rose to talk about her new graphic novel, Our Work is Everywhere, an illustrated oral history of queer and trans resistance. Cyan Rose is an illustrator and comic artist whose work plays with both surrealist and representational imagery to approach topics of personal history, politics, accountability, and healing. She's been published in Bitch, Slate, Gay Magazine, Truth Out, and Autostraddle, and has self-produced many comics and zines. Over the past 10 years, we have witnessed the rise of queer and trans communities that have defied and challenged those who have historically opposed them. Through bold symbolic imagery and surrealist overlapping landscapes, Cyan Rose shines a light on the faces and voices of these diverse, amorphous, messy, real, and imagined queer and trans communities. The many themes include Black femme mental health, Pacific Islander authorship, fat queer performance art, disability and healthcare practice, sex worker activism, and much more. Accompanying the narratives are Rose's startling and sinuous images that brings these leaders' words to visual life. Hi, Cyan Rose. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Hi, thanks for having me. So it's funny, like this is kind of a first in terms uh, of interviews for me because I'm so used to interviewing authors. So I do kind of love that we are just going to get to talk about art, your process and what goes into um, creating something like this. So starting off, I, I really just want to ask you a little bit about your background as an artist. Uh, what inspires you to create? What keeps inspiring you to create? And, and how have you seen your art evolve over the years? Wow. Um, I think, let's see, where to begin? I am someone who's always been excited about narrative art in particular. Um, like I, I like, I've, I've always liked graphic novels. I like, um, yeah, I wasn't like a total comics nerd, but I definitely was a graphic novel person. Like I read Blankets and Persepolis and Fun House uh, or Fun Home and all those. And I feel like I'm, I'm really drawn to that type of work. And I, I started making um, comics at the end of my college career. Um, I yeah, was really into graphic novels and I was like, oh, I could never do that. But I really like reading other people's stuff. Um, even though I myself really like to draw and I was a studio art minor in school. Um, but eventually I was just like, you know what? I think I'm going to try this. I want to try to like write my own little feminist autobiographical memoir thing. And so I started that way and it was really dorky and cute. And I wrote this little thing about my life. And that was like around the time of like 2012 slut walk era. That was kind of yeah. the moment. And it was very, it was very, it was cute. And from there, I I moved to Seattle. I'm originally from the East Coast, um, mm -hmm. um, from outside of Boston. And I moved to Seattle. Um, and I was like 22. And I got really excited about the um, zine, like DIY zine community there. Um, I found it like, really welcoming. And there were always people that were putting on shows and like having little zine fests and stuff like that. And so I started just making little comics. A lot of them were autobiographical at that time, like sort of um, just like my thoughts and 
I don't know, I was a barista at the time. So sometimes I made comics about that, or I was really interested in um, bodies and food and identity and um, queerness and stuff like that. And so I kind of started off like that. And yeah, I think that being involved in that, in that scene where, and, and just making zines, like mm-hmm. putting something together, Xeroxing it, folding it, stapling it, all of that stuff really gave me the confidence to actually see my work as a real art practice. Um, and something that I, I kind of wanted to make, I don't want to say career, but like make a life out of, make a passion out of. Yeah. So from there, I, I started um, doing some editorial work for some online publications. And um, like you mentioned, Truth Out, I, I did some <clears throat> graphic journalism writing for them and illustrating. And and yeah, it kind of went from there. It went from a very like DIY place. And um, yeah, I'm really thankful for that, for like just making work that was kind of like, I don't know, felt very accessible to me and other people. So, and I mean, I guess I'll just, I'll jump into another one of the questions that I had was that like, I couldn't help but think while I was reading that this beautifully published book really is at its core, like a radical queer zine. Um, So, and I was doing some like reading up and zine history while actually doing research for this interview. Um, And so it is very like, offshoots from the punk movement, queer core focuses on like creativity, music, writing art and culminating those into zines. Um, And, you know, it's stated right in your author bio that you've self-produced many a zine before. Can you tell me about what appeals to you a little bit more in regards to this art form? Yeah, I just think that it is, it's an art form that has fewer barriers, I think, than other types of fine art. Um, yeah, like I said, I, when I've studied, um, some bookmaking and like printmaking and figure drawing and some other things in school. Um, but I, I wasn't really interested in kind of going in like the gallery, like music, like fine art type of Mm -hmm, realm. Um, not, not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I just felt like it was, there's a lot of gatekeeping in, in involved with, um, that kind of art practice. And I felt like, so many people I know make zines, whether they're just like silly little, <laughs> I don't know, writing about their day or writing about or going really actually like super in depth. Like you see zines that can be like, my period sucked this week. Or you can see like zines that are like, here is like a how to on like conflict resolution with like yeah. resources and like all that kind of stuff. So I feel like that flexibility and that openness really appeals to me. And I, I just think like, I don't know we all struggle with like needing that push to feel like you're allowed to do something. And I Mm -hmm. think that having an art form that really doesn't have as many barriers in that way, like I I think really helped me just believe in myself and, and grow and feel like I was publishing something, you know, and, and, and that felt really, really, really good to me. Um, And people, when when I was in Seattle, I I live in um, New York city now, but, when I was living on the West coast, I felt like people were just so excited and open, like with, in a way that's very much like, Oh, there's this little show that I'm doing. You should just put your stuff on my table, like whatever. <laughs> and I found, fa- I really found that to be true with a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. and like having like, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I feel like people would just kind of invite you know, people trade zines. You don't have to have like some big resume. You don't have to have some like, you know, 
have a background in showing and exhibitions and all that stuff. It's just like, oh, you made that? Put it on my table, you know? And I, <laughs> I think that, yeah, the book is kind of a glorified zine in that same way, where that I think that spirit of of welcoming and like mm-hmm. wanting to do some, you know, like is, is is central to the book too. So that's cool that you picked up on that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm such a fan of like zines, the whole art form of that also. So, and I, it was really funny. It was really only when I was like halfway through that it just kind of hit me like a wall of bricks that I was like, oh, this is what this is. And this is like how this art form is elevated in a way. And I just found that so interesting and so beautiful um so kudos to you oh thanks yeah I think that's how I got a lot of my practice in honestly because Mm -hmm. like I said I did take art classes I've taken art classes before but I actually think that a majority of my growth in like drawing in particular has actually come from making zines like a million of them I love that I can't wait to get my hands (laughs) on more of Cyan Rose's zinery (laughs) please there's there they're out there they're in in the archives (laughs) (laughs) okay so um now could you just give us a little bit of background into the creation of our work is everywhere um how did the idea start what made you want to do this and highlight the voices that you do highlight in in the graphic novel Yeah, I think that, um, let's see, around the time of like 2014, I think I really started realizing um, how much I was learning uh, both like politically, but spiritually, um, learning a lot about relationships as I kind of grew a deeper relationship to other queer people. And I felt like my friends were just such geniuses. Like, yes, people are messy and yes, we're all human. But I felt like the conversation, a lot of the conversations that I was having um, with other queer people around like shifting power dynamics and anti-racism and and like queer feminism, queer and trans feminism and things like that, just felt like so, like I was like, these people, all my friends are like my mentors and we're all learning from each other. And like, I don't know that, that just that kind of conversation, like Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time like sitting around with friends talking, like just sitting on a couch, like processing a lot of shit. I'm sure a lot of queer people out there, we do a lot of processing, you know? And (laughs) so I kind of, (laughs) there's a lot to talk about. So I kind of wanted to like, I don't know, from there, I was like, I actually feel like people would love to hear some of the things like that we, the way that I feel like we weave our politics into our lives and talking about like, you know, the way that that person treated that person was actually like fucked up and in a way that was, is, feels political, you know? And mm-hmm. I, and that's like a thing that I feel like that's a very normal conversation that people would have. Or like, you know, being like, I, am I being like, I have these values around like deconstructing power am I living that out in my life like can we talk Mm -hmm. about this like and so I just that kind of informal conversation I guess is what really inspired me um and honestly so I had been doing some like I was saying some writing for truth out like I was writing my own analysis of of um different political issues and I actually got really burnt out on that Mm -hmm. on like writing my own ideas and also illustrating them. And I was like, I, I want to just focus on the illustration element and do more curating of other people's voices because I, yeah, it was just too much work for me at the time. Um, and I, I wanted to focus, like just focus on developing my own style as an illustrator. Um, 
and my own style, I think as like a, a curator, I guess, and facilitator, I'm into, I really am excited about facilitation and about like the process around collaboration and what that takes to make it like equitable and feel good to people. Um, so yeah, so I, I started, um, that project with just interviewing friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it definitely, I mean, like that, that's it essentially, right? As you wanted to highlight kind of these voices that you knew were important, especially in your own circles. And I think that it's just one of those things kind of for all of us, and especially in queer communities, is that we really do value our people and our chosen families and our friends. And what they have to say is oftentimes very, very interesting to us. And I think that you were very right to also amplify those voices because it is interesting to other people whether or not you're in those same queer circles right yeah and I think that what I was really aiming to do with this project is to capture the nuances Mm -hmm. is because I feel like in the queer and trans community in the queer community we talk a lot about representation and like how you know there are queer and trans trans famous people now and um and that's complicated and great and um I do think that sometimes queer narratives just get very distorted and very um, kind of sensationalized or tokenized in mm-hmm. um, in the media. And so what I'm excited about is actually like showing queer people like the way that they want to like let them show themselves, you know, and and I write about that in my introduction about just being like this is like I want to talk about being learning and being sometimes being messy and sometimes like messing up or you know like our learning process and like what we're working on and and how complicated that can be and see people as actually like full humans not just like a trans character on this show with a bunch of cis people you know um so that I love that about oral history you know where you can actually see like I, I really hope that when people are reading this book they they literally hear the voices of the people that are talking and see them for full as as full people um that's what I really wanted to do and it was funny, actually, when I first started out the um, the project, I was very much like, I need to find the thread, like the queer <laughs> thing that um, that is going to unite all of these interviews. And I was very like, I don't know, I'm a Virgo, so I really like like categories <laughs> and things like that. And I feel like the more that I actually like went about it, I realized that I didn't need to be so controlling and I could actually like... Uh, like let go a little bit and mm-hmm. just let people talk about whatever the hell they wanted. And it didn't matter. I didn't need to be like, like come up with the same question to ask every person or be like, what is it? What, what is being queer like? Or like, it doesn't need to be like that. It can just be, Oh yeah. All of the people in the book are queer and or trans. And there's actually a lot of differing identities and experiences. And I think that's actually what's like more important and exciting. Well, and I think that the thread is also just, kind of organic throughout all of them, right? You don't really have to connect them because they are already, they are already connected. Like, like I said, the thread is already there. Um, so yeah, and it was also yeah. funny that you kind of brought up the introduction uh, because I recently was talking to an author uh, during one of these interviews and I'd asked if you had a mission statement for this book, what would that be? And in the case of our work is everywhere, you essentially start the book with your mission statement. Um, 
So before moving on to my next question, could you give our listeners who might not have read the book yet, uh, just some insight into what you mean when you say our work is everywhere that you do reference in this introduction? Yeah, I think the idea was just like trying to reframe the idea of like a capitalist definition of work as the thing that people get paid for that and that's what's valued. And that I think that the idea of work really can be what what I mean is the things that we I don't mean yeah work what we get paid for I mean work of like what are the things that we need to move this society forward or or that we need to rely on or that we need to do to care for each other um and and yeah it was hard because I I I actually struggled with that of like should I include this word because it is such a capitalist word you know but but I actually really like the idea that work can be and is like the funny stories that we tell or, you know, the poetry that people write or, and by having all these interviews with each other, I'm sort of trying to, to assert that someone, someone's work with astrology or like interest Mm -hmm. in astrology is as valuable to us as other kinds of organizing or cooking or going to demonstrations. Like I think that we need, all of those things to survive and to, to be well and happy and okay. And, um, and I think that people deserve credit for that. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And, and I guess that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to give credit and like show that these things are really valuable. And I don't think that they're actually valued in our society. I think that like we I don't know that a lot of queer and trans people or anyone who's trying to like change the world, whatever, in quotes, um, is getting a lot of credit for Mm -hmm. like staying on the phone with a friend who's having a panic attack for, for two and a half hours, but that's work. And that's like needed a lot. Mm -hmm. And you might not have a degree in mental health counseling, or you might not have a, you know, you might not be a professional chef, but like cooking a meal for someone or caring for someone, um, showing up to a difficult conversation or, I don't know, attending a teach-in, those things are really, really important. Um, and that's what I think I'm, that's what I feel like I'm, I don't know, the work that I'm excited about. Yeah. And Okay. So I know the the next one is kind of a big question for anyone, but I think <laughs> you do might have some valuable insight into it because yeah, the the work that you're describing here is mostly the kind of emotionally laborious background work that doesn't get credited all the time. Right. Um, especially that's being done by members of the QT BIPOC community. Um, and so in this heteropatriarchal and this capitalist society that we live in, how do you think we can do better to bring more legitimacy and value to the kind of, to, the, to this specific kind of work that we're talking about? I think a lot of it has to do with like assessing your role and getting real about where you are positioned in, in, these greater issues. Like, I do think that in order, I think in order to kind of show up as people say, I do think that takes a lot of self-love and self-forgiveness and a lot of like, especially, you know, for example, for white people and for, for myself, like, I feel like reflecting on my own privilege, but not just reflecting, but actually like figuring out ways to like pay reparations um, and to, uh, redistribute power and the power that I 
have and um, encouraging other people to do the same, I think is is a big part of that work. And I do think that in order to not like spiral into white guilt, you need to actually and and white guilt is is you know it has its place. Um, I'm a white person. I also have um, Chinese ancestry as well, and I'm Jewish. I I feel like um, yeah, white guilt has its place, but I think that in order to to transform white guilt into like actually like working towards giving land back to indigenous people, giving reparations to black people, like actually shifting power takes a lot of like thoughtfulness and work, like I'm saying. Um, takes a lot of conversations. It takes a lot of listening. It takes a lot of like actively thinking about these things every single day in a way that feels sustainable and and um, doable. And like, I think making those co- to, you know, making a commitment to yourself of like, okay, what are the things that I can do for myself and people in my life to support them in whatever way they need that and support myself and keep that um, self-work going, I think is is actually a lot of, it takes a lot of time and a lot of thoughtfulness and a lot of therapy for me personally. So I, I, I think that, you know, or mental health support in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a very big first step of like, just um, being able to be okay with yourself, honestly, and, and be present in yourself so that you can show up for other people. I think that, um, yeah, I think that just like, again, like there are very complicated power dynamics that exist between all of us. And I think like, you know, coming from like, for me, I feel like I've had the gift of being able to be a part of relatively like diverse communities as far as like race, but also like, you know, class background, um, location, religion, things like that. And I think that's such a gift to be able to like witness other people's experiences. And in order for me to like share myself authentically and also like receive other people's authentic experience, I do think that takes a lot of like um, self-love and self-forgiveness and boundary setting and all of those things that are not just like posting something on, like posting a hashtag, like hashtag stop API hate, which I think is important that that is a thing that we are like, living in right now and social media is so so important and i think that that kind of like daily deepening of how am i going to actually break down white supremacy today and how am i going to be okay with that like how am i going to navigate this discomfort of the fact that i experience white privilege like i don't know i think that's that's the thing for me that i'm thinking about i think that's the work right that is a lot of the work that we've all kind of had to had to and wanted to kind of deal with, especially after 2020 as as a whole and mm-hmm. seeing so many of our communities kind of decimated, you know, I think it is very important. So yeah, again, thank you for that yeah, answer. Yeah. I know it was a big question. <laughs> I'm like, what was the question? I just kind of, <laughs> I'm chatty, so I kind of just go. <laughs> no, I love it. No, Perfect. thank you. <laughs> Um, and it, yeah, so kind of tying back to to this idea of work, admittedly, the work that you, Cyan Rose, have done for this book seems like it really does successfully conflate these two forms of work that we're discussing. Uh, do you find balance between these two types of work? And just by that, I mean, clearly this project was a good 
kind of emotional work, I hope, uh, but still this is what you do professionally. So how do you kind of reckon these ideas in a project like this? You know, it's funny. I actually, it's <laughs> funny you say that because I've actually had a very, I don't know if this is going to be the answer that's good. Maybe there's no good answer, but like I have recently had a big pivot, a big like career change pivot in my life. Um, recently because I'm, I'm starting, I just started acupuncture school. Actually, I'm hoping to become an acupuncturist, but I think that I have, for me personally, I have decided that I actually don't want art to be, um, a source of income for me. Um, and that's a choice that I have like been able to make that Mm -hmm. has felt good for me. Like obviously people who do want to do that, I'm like, do that. But I, I did um, support myself during this process uh, by bartending. I've worked in the service industry for a long time. Um, and I think that I've thought a lot about like, oh, should I like be a graphic designer or should I like mm-hmm. try to sell? But like how, I don't know. I, I think that for me, it was actually really important to like decenter the idea of like my living and my, and, and uh, generating any kind of like, I don't know, monetary thing from this project. Um, I I also think that could change when it starts selling. I actually don't know how I'm going to like think about that because I do want to redistribute the money in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. Like I actually want to like use it as a way to, 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 um, generate some, I don't know, some money for, for people like, you know, the contributors and we're doing fundraisers with the launch. And I think because it's getting attention, I wanted to use it in that way. Um, But yeah, I think that for me, I'm actually not someone that does a lot of a lot of commission work. Um, I don't really do a ton of art gigs. I kind of draw when I feel like I want to express something specific Mm -hmm. and um and yeah, I, I I think that that it feels really sacred to me in that way, like. The zine, I never made any money off the zines. I usually lost money on them. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I think that that's just felt, and and that, again, that's like a privilege that I've been able to like, mm-hmm. you know, I to to have extra time to to make this work. Um, but yeah, I think that that that's that's where art is for me. It's like it it feels like a regenerative thing, um, not something that I don't want it to feel like it's costing me energy. I think that's a really beautiful answer. I don't know what I was really expecting, but I think that's great. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I well, I just, know. I mean, the thing is, I do know people that do art for money, like that yeah. are graphic designers or art. And, and I think that that's like a, to- that's really fucking cool if you can do that. Like, but I, I just think that, um, I actually did start to start to notice there at times when I've had more regular, like commission work, I've noticed myself get a little a little crabby about it or a little like <laughs> resenty. And I just like, I think that I, I, I want to move away from that. Yeah. Great. No. I, and again, I think that's such a, such a good kind of mentality to have, especially going into a project like this. And, you know, I hope we're going to see kind of more projects like this from you in the future. And hopefully you can get paid and redistribute that <laughs> successfully. Um, I know I am, gonna be hand selling this book (laughs) that's so cool in another country I'm like yeah you know I'll say one more thing about that I also think that there is a pressure on people who are like illustrators trademark 
to like have a big Instagram following and to like be constantly Mm. making work and constantly be putting things out. Like, I don't know. There's some, some illustrators that I follow on Instagram that I'm just like, how did you react to this like thing that already happened? Like with a beautiful illustration today. And there have been times where I'm like, should I do that? Like, do I need to do (laughs) the whole, like try to get a million followers, hashtag illustration, hashtag queer art, hashtag blah, 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 hashtag. And I was like, I think it's just not for me. It's yeah. I, yeah. (laughs) I, I don't think I can. Okay, so let's talk about the interview process. Um, You said that this started kind of in 2015, mostly inspired by you talking with friends. Um, In in the end, and kind of what made it into Our Work is Everywhere, were those open calls for submissions or interviews? Did you already have an idea of the folks that that you did want to talk to? Well, it's funny you say that because... I I think that in the beginning I was still very self-conscious about like I thought about doing open calls mm-hmm. but I was like I think I was still really experiencing some like imposter syndrome around it and like some like eh, well no one's I don't want to force people to do this thing you know like I really felt that way and mm-hmm. um and I and I think that's why I was more comfortable interviewing like friends or friends of friends or people that could like connect me. And then I I took a big leap of faith when, um, the book deadline got postponed actually, um, Mm -hmm. from spring, it was supposed to come out in October, but then because of the pandemic, we pushed it to spring 2021. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to challenge myself to actually put an open call out. And, um, and I, it was really wild because I think because so many artists and, um, writers and like, culture creators, people that like needed gigs around that time. Mm-hmm. Cause it was a pay, I offered it as a paid gig, of course. And okay. I, I just put out a little, like, you know, does someone want to have a conversation with me? I'll pay you like, or you can write something. I, I think that I need to, okay. I don't know if this is coming up, but I need to work on my, like being too apologetic in my communication. Sometimes it's something <laughs> I'm working on, but like, it was very much like, I'll put this out. And I, it went, it really was like, went a little viral, like in a very small way but like for me it went viral and I got like enough to where like you know most of yeah I had like 150 responses um which I expected to get like 10 you know and so and I was like wow this really speaks to the fact that a queer and trans people really really want to talk about their experiences and also people are needing gigs right now um and there's not a lot of like paid writing gigs out there because I I wasn't going to do an interview I actually wanted to do I I realized that I kind of having someone submit something written would actually be easier on my process during Mm. the whole transition of the pandemic. I was like, if it's Mm -hmm. already written, if I, we don't have to do transcribing or (laughs) editing, let's just, you know, so I actually had a very hard time choosing because there were some beautiful, like, like many, many beautiful responses to my little, want to talk about being gay or something (laughs) in the pandemic? I don't know. And, and just so like, a a real like plethora of like people talked about like, I don't know, like there were so many submissions about people being like essential workers or like I had some, mm. like there were people talking about wanting to write about like sobriety during the pandemic, people talking about like immigration status and like not having access to stimulus checks and like all kinds of different things. And I was like, damn, I could actually make a separate book with these submissions. Why was I waiting so long to, <laughs> to even do this open call? Like, but I'm so glad that I did it because some of those pieces that I was able to create during the pandemic 
were just very moving on a really spiritual level. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that section. The section in the oh, end yeah. is all um, COVID related. I ended up choosing three. I wanted to choose like 10, but I was like, okay, let's be real. Um, and, and the pieces were just so special to me. Like I really felt, yeah, really connected to them. But yeah, that was the only time I did an open call. Otherwise I just did like friends of friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, okay, so I mean, I guess talking a little bit more about um, what changed in the project during and after last year, you know, uh, this started in as an idea in 2015 or 2016, like you said, now in the final edition, exactly again, like you said, the entire last portion is dedicated to reflections on COVID-19. Um, like at what point was it like right before the like kind of due date deadline <laughs> that you were like, okay, I have to let the pieces fall because like, I, I, I hear what you're saying completely. And it's like, how do you, how do you select what, how do you stop at a certain point? What, was there like a moment for you that you did just kind of have to, like I said, just let the pieces fall as it were? I think it was the deadline. Like, I think mm. that the, the, I originally thought that my hard deadline for the whole manuscript was June 1st, 2020. And then on like April, whatever, we were like, okay, well, that's, it's just <laughs> not going to be a thing right now. Let's do this later. So it was such a, ble- I was, I, I was, that was a really big moment of letting go for me. Cause I was like, well, I mm. pictured it this way. I pictured it this way. Da, 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 da. And then it was like, but actually this is a beautiful opportunity. Yeah. Like when every, like to, because the, the the last couple of pieces that I got were, yeah, again, some of my favorite. And I feel like I got to develop even further, like, as an artist. I was like, wow, like, I, I did some new things in those those later pieces. And I was really excited about that. But, yeah, the, it was the deadline. Like, it was really helpful for me to have a deadline because I think this project could have gone on and on forever. But I actually did realize that um, after working on it for, like, five years, I, I could already feel myself moving on a little bit by the end. Mm. And I, it did feel... Like on the one hand, I do say like I could go on and on forever and ever, but also I was, I do feel myself growing as an artist and I'm actually excited to do things that are maybe a little less like text crammed into the page where you can hardly read it. And like things that are a little more slow and kind of have some more space to breathe, some things that maybe have more illustration and fewer words. I don't know. I'm, mm-hmm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about that. Think maybe poetry. I don't know. Things that are just a little more, less journalistic in a way. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think that like my my shifts in my style and what I'm thinking about and also definitely having a deadline helps because I had to be like, okay, I have six months. What can I actually do in those six months? Yeah. And having those moments of like reassessing your own capacity, I think is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny that you brought up poetry because I was also going to mention that I think uh, Nube F. Cruz's poems in particular in this last portion are so kind of gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching and emotional and so so beautiful um and I love that there was little bits of poetry kind of interspersed throughout the whole throughout the whole book um so you are gonna be like kind of tying poetry into future projects do you do you write poetry yourself I have and it's really scared me it's actually like (laughs) one of the most like vulnerable things for me to ever do um but I think yeah it was it's funny you say that because like I did include a few different pieces that were like genre wise, a little different. And I was like, can I pull this, like, can this be pulled off if I'm just like 
throwing together a bunch of different things. But if I'm the one who's drawing them, maybe it'll seem like a collection. And I think I actually think it's really cool to kind of feature different types of genres and different types of writing. And some of them are very clearly spoken. Some of them are very clearly written. Like, I think the last piece, the, um, the one that um, is about the Central Valley Mutual Aid Network yeah, yeah. Um, and about, like, organizing in rural California, like, nobody, no one speaks like that. There's, like, stats, like, statistics. There's, like, all these – it's, like, an essay – and then New Bays is right before that, and it's a yeah. poem. And it's like, and yeah. I'm like, that's, I kind of love, I love that because also I think as a reader, I'm hoping that it gives you like a break or it shifts, like cues a different part of your brain or like of it, the pieces that are like a little quieter. It's like, okay, I can rest because I know it's a lot of text. It's a like, bit more of a like reflection period is like, it, mm-hmm. it, you really are allowing the reader to kind of breathe with, Mm-hmm. with this author, with this poet. I, I think it's done super, super successfully. Just Yeah, I want to, oh, thank you. I really want to do that in the future. I, I really, I mean, I always want to collaborate. I don't, I don't know if I'll be doing a lot of writing. I mean, maybe, who knows? But I really like the idea of like working with writing in a way that, yeah, just gets to be a little slower. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, now I'm hoping maybe like my acupuncture journey will like, We'll have some art to do with it. I'm sure it will. Who knows how? We'll see. Just like indulge me for a second as a reader here too. Um, There's a whole section on acupuncture therapy, basically, in Our Work is Everywhere. Did you know about your current journey (laughs) when you were doing this? That's really funny. No, not until the very end. I didn't know what I, so Jelani Fontaine, who is an incredible acupuncturist, was the person that I, like the acupuncturist that I was seeing um, as a patient. And um, it was actually like, so I I have um, like a a close relation, like familial relationship to acupuncture. My grandfather was an acupuncturist um, and I kind of after his death, like kind of became really closely connected with acupuncture. And it just Mm -hmm. felt like a really special connection to my culture and my family, but also just like to my own healing. Um, I hate using that word because it's just like, what does it even mean anymore? But whatever, it was healing. Um, And uh, so Jelani, I went to see Jelani for, I was seeing them um, as an acupuncturist for like some months, specifically for anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I went, um, and other things, that's the cool thing about acupuncture, you can treat like a million things at once. Um, but they, I, I was on the table and I had a bunch of needles in me. And I remember I always, sometimes I get like these, like just visions when I'm getting acupuncture. I don't know if other people have that experience, but I was like, it just came into my head. I was like, Hey, what if I became an acupuncturist? <laughs> that's weird. And then I was like, no, I couldn't do that. That that's, that's wild. Like that's too much school and studying. And I'm, I'm an artist. I'm not a sciencey practitioner of healthcare. That's crazy. <laughs> That's wild. Um, yeah. So then I just listened to it and the, a bunch of other things happened and yeah, but yeah, they, they really like, I think that's, it's funny. Cause that I was really geeking out about that, um, that interview because I, I've always had like such an interest in acupuncture, but I, I used mm-hmm. to think it was more of like an outsider interest. Like I'm interested in that from over here, you know, like let as an artist, as from a, over here. let me watch. And, but, uh, but I was such a geek when I was interviewing Jelani because I was like, can you tell me more about that? What does that mean? What's that point? What's the name of this point here? What's the name of this point? And like, I, it, it, it's something that I've always been like really, really excited about. And so I'm glad that I let myself kind of dream in that way. Um, 
but yeah, so Jelani like, and third root is an amazing, um, mm-hmm. like worker owned cutie BIPOC healing center in Flatbush, Brooklyn. And people who are listening to this should definitely look it up. I guess maybe people are in Canada, so I don't know if that's helpful, but there's a plug oh, for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Call your local acupuncturist, everyone in Canada. Yes. Okay. So just, I mean, to kind of round it out and end it out now, uh, I think yeah, how you've amplified the voices in our work is everywhere is is a really great and direct way to uh, to support the community and make sure that these voices are being heard. Uh, why do you personally think it's so important to put yourself in this position to do this kind of work? You know, I think something that I'm really happy about is that I, as someone who has had access to a publisher, um, I think it's been such a blessing. I think it's really important to let people speak for themselves. Like I, I just feel like when it comes to all the very complicated, misrepresented identities around like race and around like queerness and all these things, like I, I, I'm so passionate about all of these things, but I'm also like, I don't, I don't know what I have to, to offer as far as like, I mean, we all have something to offer. Let me let me backtrack. We all have something yeah. to offer. And I think it's really, really valuable to let people speak for the, themselves about their own experiences and um, and experiences that they might have that might be marginalized. Like, um, so I, I think that's just been such an amazing opportunity for me to mm-hmm. do and and to pay people, you know, to to think through being someone who has this access and is not is trying their hardest to not exploit people, um, you know, and to, to pay people and, and be transparent with them and really include them in the process. That's been important to me. Uh, and I think, I think it's, yeah, I think that that's what I'm trying to do with, with my, um, proximity to this kind of power. Um, but to also, you know, but to, to let people speak for themselves, but to also like be vulnerable in myself too. I'm trying Mm really, like, I think that, um, you know, if you take like a, a passive role as just like a documentarian and try to seem like a, a neutral, objective third party, I think there's that's a big missed opportunity and sometimes can be a little bit of a cop out. Um, so I've been trying to think about that for myself, too, of like when to when to let people speak and do their thing and when for me to actually lean in and speak and 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 to tell people who I am and what I'm thinking about and what I'm feeling vulnerable about. Um, yeah, so I think that's. That's what I'm trying to do. Again, I think that's really beautiful. Um, all right. Well, Zion Rose, this was a lovely interview. I really oh, had a, thanks, a, a great time so talking nice. to you. <laughs> Me too. This is like my first time speaking to anyone about this book. So I was like really super nervous in the beginning. <laughs> but it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity. No problem. And I really, you know, like I hope that we were able to do a little something to amplify your voice as well. And then we can kind of all work together to amplify more voices and the voices that, that you're referencing. Um, so yeah, just thank you. Thank you for taking the time uh, thank to speak you. to me thank today. Thank you so much. And to speak to yeah. us. And thank for you. all of, for all of our listeners, you can get our work is everywhere at uh, St. Henry books now. Thanks everyone. <laughs>